successful to me meant something very different at that point. And it meant like, how do I like exist in this world to leave it a little better than I found it? Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Chiresso, your host. On today's show, my guest is Hawa Kassat, an artist, author, educator, yoga instructor, community organizer, and nonprofit leader. I was in DC a few weeks ago and I was able to spend some time with Hawa having a conversation and I'm really excited to share that with you today. Hawa is a person who truly lives life consciously and takes every opportunity he can to make the world a better place. He's been a deep meditator for 15 years. He's a certified yoga instructor. He's worked for AmeriCorps, the United Nations, and he's traveled over 42 countries to facilitate workshops, host dialogues, perform poetry, and speak with people who want to create a caring, sustainable, and equitable world. Currently, he's the executive director of One Common Unity, a nonprofit he founded that exists to support peace education and the building of a nonviolent culture through music and art. Something I think we could all use a little bit more of these days is some peace in our lives. But before we get into the interview, there's one term I need to define before we get started, and that's Vipassana. Hawa and I briefly touch on it in this part of our conversation and then go into more detail in the second part, but I wanted to be sure you knew a little bit about what that was at the top. Vipassana means to see things as they really are. And if you go on a Vipassana retreat, what you're committing to is a 10-day silent retreat. It begins each day at 4 a.m. with a wake-up bell and continues until 9 p.m. where you're in silence. There's some teachings and some short breaks but you're essentially spending 10 days in silence, going deep in your own being and getting silent and getting to really know yourself. For those that I've known who've participated in Vipassana retreats, they have come out completely transformed by the experience. The quotes that I'm most familiar with are, if I knew how hard it was, I wouldn't have done it. But if I knew how beneficial it was, I would have done it ages ago. So I'm excited to share the interview with you as I admit to Hawa why I'm jealous of him. I gotta say, if you really knew me, I am really envious of you. And like there's a way in which when I've been cyber stalking you, I f- I'm like a little intimidated by all that you've, you're doing <laughs> and have done in the world. Like one of my limiting beliefs is there's not enough time, right? Yeah. Like if you were to really know me, you know, I'd wake up every morning with this sense of urgency slash excitement slash mm-hmm. fear. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of swimming in that soup all the time. And the story in my head is there's not enough time. There's so much to do and there's not enough time. And it's not even so much as like when I was looking at your life, I was like, oh my God, his life looks delicious. (laughs) It's delicious. (laughs) How does he do all that stuff, you know? So um, the first question I have for you is like, what is one of your limiting beliefs? (laughs) It almost sounds like a job interview (laughs) question. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my limiting beliefs. 
I think for sure I have many limiting beliefs, no question. And I guess one of them that I've been working with and working around is how do I continue to make sure that the work required for the revolution mm-hmm. doesn't exhaust me and doesn't make me feel like I'm working. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a joy. I don't want to feel burdened by it. I don't want to feel tired by it. And to be quite honest, like the work can be exhausting sometimes, you know? Yeah, we uh, can exhaust ourselves. Really long hours, really long weeks. Sometimes there doesn't seem to be a beginner or the end mm-hmm. to the week. And so I'm just like, you know. So I think part of that like belief that you can engage in really powerful, meaningful work without exhausting yourself, you know? So the belief is I cannot engage in powerful work easily. Yeah, without effort. With, yeah. You know what I mean? And it has to be hard. Yeah, like I have, is, to, I have to exhaust myself. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the challenge of things. And I appreciate like learning all the time and growing. And so I, I, I like things to be like, I like to climb mountains, you know, I like to adventure and hike and try to climb a mountain that I don't think I can get to the top of. You like a challenge. I like a challenge. And I also recognize that part of what's been limiting me and how much I'm willing to really commit and go all in on is like, I know enough now in terms of like I've worked enough in the world to know like how much effort certain things require. And so there's a point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say yes to this. I'm not going to say yes to this because I'm old enough now to know how much effort that requires. Where like 15 years ago, I would say yes to everything and do everything and not sleep and just be so fueled. Mm-hmm by just the passion of, of, of it all. And now I'm just kind of a little bit more like wanting to be more, a little bit more strategic. Yeah, I get that. I think that's kind of what I was touching on a, a few minutes ago when I said I wake up and I'm like, I want to do this and I want to do this. And it's like, there's this plethora of options, right? Like life is so juicy and exciting and there's so many great things to do. And do I get to do all of them? Mm-hmm. And there's this way particularly when we're young, right? Like when we're just sort of out of the gate, there's this way we want to do everything and it's hard to say no. Yeah. So tell me just a little bit, give me like a brief meta picture overview of like who you are and how you got to where you are. Just to riff on what you just said a little bit though, and choosing out of all of those like delicious things to pick out of, choosing one or three or four Mm -hmm. out of the 50 And then I think part of the secret is like really being totally all in and present with what you've chosen without thinking about the things I didn't choose while I'm doing the things I chose. Yes. Because I've already chosen these things. And even while I'm in the middle of doing these things, I might already be thinking about the things I didn't choose and wondering like, oh, it'd be really cool to also be doing this. And then that takes my, my sort of attention and awareness out of being really present with what I chose. Of course. So choosing something and then owning that, that's really, I think, a beautiful thing for me to keep like working on. So you want to know how I do that? How? Um, I let myself grieve the loss. Mm -hmm. It's been really hard for me because I'm a parent. I've got three kids. I've got six stepchildren. So I have Mm -hmm. nine kids in total. I've got a marriage. I've got a business. I've got, 
you know, this work I want to do in the world. And so we have to make choices every day, which means I have to let things go. So I'm constantly in the practice of letting go. And with letting go, there's grieving. Right. I think that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Very hard thing to do. And I think like to answer your question is a really hard thing to do when you said like step back and give like a meta picture of who I am in the world. Like start with where you grew up and what your family was like. Sure. I was born in a small town in New Jersey, did all my schooling in the States, did a lot of travel overseas to India. Mumbai is like a second home. And so I spent many, many summers in Mumbai. With family? Like, did your parents... With extended family, yeah. My mom stays there throughout various parts of the year. And Mm -hmm. so I'd go and be there with her, uh, which was really formative, like seeing the very stark contrast between the worlds of New Jersey, East Coast, United States, and then India, where Mm -hmm. you have such a different quality of life, so much poverty in ways that poverty doesn't manifest here in the U.S. So it was really, it was really quite, quite a remarkable experience as a kid to see that and to question, yeah, why is the world this way? Why are like, why are people living so differently? And why are not all the same opportunities available? Yeah. For everybody? I, I, how do you reconcile that as a kid? You don't, I mean, I don't even know how you reconcile that as an adult, yeah. to be honest. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't haven't know. figured it out yet. I don't know how to reconcile that. I mean, I think the only way to reconcile that is to fix the injustice, the institutional injustice that allows such poverty and such conditions to even exist. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always had like this background sense of responsibility uh, because of like the access I've had to education and food, shelter. When I was really young, I'm like, seven or eight years old and I see like little kids without changes of shoes or even without even shoes on their feet. And then two months later I go back to the U S and I, I've got like five pairs of shoes in my closet, you know, you walk in a Nike town and there's, it's a whole nother world. Yeah. So how did you start to try and answer those questions for yourself? Did you have conversations with your parents? Did you? try and answer those questions. I did. And I still do. Um, I think the people around me, including like family members, teachers, you know, they were all like really awesome sounding boards for my internal thoughts. I don't know if there was really clear answers. I think it was more just like processing Mm -hmm. and I would process a lot through writing at that age. Um, I journaled a lot. I started writing poetry when I was, probably in like sixth or seventh grade. Really? It's like a way to really like let go of some of the anger that I had inside. And I dealt with a lot of racism as well growing up as a kid in a predominantly white suburban town that left me feeling really isolated and marginalized throughout my childhood mm-hmm. and definitely feeling not sure where I belonged, mm-hmm. you know, and And so all that kind of led to like definitely internalizing some oppression, some anger, things that I had to work through like 10, 15 years later when I was in college and right after college. What what do you suppose made you want to explore that deeper, right? Like we can make choice when we're confronted with those demons inside us Mm -hmm. and some of us avoid and run away. Some of us aggress or act out. And it sounds like you took a path of 
you know, curiosity. Do you have a guess about why that was, why you chose that path? Some people get bullied when they're kids and being bullied as a child will create all these limiting beliefs that will prevent them from living out their dreams as they get older, right? Or harboring anger and harboring fear as like these guiding principles throughout their lives. And some people get bullied when they're children and they use those experiences of being bullied as kind of a springboard to greater self-realization, to greater compassion, greater empathy that they develop. And in fact, use that as a tool to like find a life of meaning and purpose. To answer your question would be to try to figure out like the personality traits maybe behind like what is the difference and like what is it that like allows someone to have like the same exact experience but choose differently. Yeah, and like I don't, you chose I don't know, to go deeper. I don't, I don't know the answer. I've always been really curious and I don't, I don't know why. It Just sounds I'm, like you lead with curiosity. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I love learning. I love like, I love picking up a new puzzle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you get up in the morning, what is the thing that like lights you up, right? Like what gets you out of bed and brings you alive every morning? One of the things, there's, there's a few, but one of them is the opportunity to feel. So I have a meditation practice that I've been really anchored to for the past 15 plus years. And I love sitting and I love cultivating awareness and stillness. And like one of the things that definitely keeps me in the morning sort of like excited is like taking a moment to dial in with myself Mm -hmm. and to like check in and like observe and then like transferring that into like this awesome opportunity to like be in the world and like experience the interconnectedness of life, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to like serve and to receive Mm -hmm. through that service Mm -hmm. is is a big thing. I have incredible community in DC that inspires me. I think part of me has struggled with seeing how mammoth the problems are in front of us Mm -hmm. and how overwhelming it is to Mm -hmm. try to think about solving the Mm -hmm. problems ahead of us. And then part of me is definitely fascinated by the microcosm of like what we can do in our own inner landscape, our own world and space of consciousness, but then also in our own relations and relationships. I honor my relations. I honor the people in my life. I try the best I can to show up for them. That really gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a reason to get out of bed and like to connect, you know, connect with self and then connect with others and then connect with, with nature. Mm-hmm. So I love that you have this meditation practice and you talk to this idea of bringing it back to self first. I really believe that we can't actually go out into the world consciously unless we're connected to ourselves. We can't connect to others until we first connect to self. When did you first start integrating a daily practice of meditation into your life? My curiosity took me into these classrooms and into these spaces where I could learn. I moved up into like the Himalayas for about a year and a half when I was, I want to say like around 25. And that's when I really started to do a deep dive into like self-study 
I did my first Vipassana 10-day meditation you course did. around that time. I think I was about 25. In India. In India, yeah, in the Himalayas. Did this 10-day silent meditation retreat. Really got activated through that experience. And then I did this yoga teacher training program also in India. It's been a part of my life ever since. It's a big deal to do a 10-day Vipassana retreat. Yeah. People don't make those decisions lightly. It's so... What? It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Probably one of the hardest things I'd done in my life up to that point. For oh, sure. Yeah. It's it's no joke. So what like <laughs> what propelled you to make that decision at twenty five? When like what else was going on in your life that allowed you to take ten days out and go do this? Were you not working because obviously you're out of college. Yeah. Were you not were you working at the time or Yeah, that's a good question. So out of college, I went to American University here in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year I graduated from college, I started a nonprofit organization with a few friends here in the city called One Common Unity. Got it. We're still around today. That same year that I graduated from college, I got picked up by a local high school in D.C. to be the director of Peaceable Schools, which was a new initiative they were launching around conflict resolution, a lot of work around around how to create cultures and climates of peace and nonviolence within school culture. Yep, love it. That was my full-time job for about four years. I right was like out of college. A, right out of college. I was like partly administrator, partly teacher. I was teaching alternatives to violence. And I was developing this like curriculum that I was like testing and writing that was all based around peace building um, and teaching peace. And then... I'm going to interrupt you now. Yeah. My mind keeps going like... Did he deal with that anger yet? Did he deal with that anger yet? So earlier in our conversation, you were yeah. saying, you know, you didn't deal with the anger yeah. from this injustice in your life yeah. until college? Or when did you deal with it? So this, this yeah. This is going to get there? This is where it was starting to okay. starting to come out. Yeah, like, so it's a really great question. I mean, it definitely stuck with me through college. Yeah, because I find it really um, ironic that you're doing all this peace work. Yeah. And are you peaceful inside yet? Not yet. My years through college, I was an activist, which was fueled by a lot of anger, right? I mean, like, I, pro- I protested the racism within the criminal justice system, the prison industrial complex. I was arrested at some point in D.C., I think, during my senior year of college, like, in front of the Justice Department in a protest. Fire. Lots of fire in A lot you. of fire. I was, like, I was one of the lead organizers for the School of the America protests that were happening down in Georgia. I would, like, coordinate busloads of college students from D.C. down to Georgia, I was like a part of the anti-war movement protests in 2001 after September 11, the Iraq war. I was on the front lines of a lot of that, like organizing, but I was driven by a lot of, a lot of anger, uh, frustration. A lot of that activism was coming out of this feeling of helplessness. And it took me some time because what was interesting is, so I joined the teaching staff at Wilson Senior High School and I was coordinating my classes and students from Wilson, which was one of the largest public high schools in Washington, D.C., out to like some of these marches that I'm telling you about. And at the marches, like so many of the signs and so many of the chants were demonizing, character assassinating individuals, politicians, leaders. And there was so much hatred that was being promulgated by the protesters by the quote unquote peace protesters and I know, the anti-war it's ironic. movement people. It's so ironic. 
it was one thing when I was out there on the front lines by myself or with my friends as a college student or after college, but it was another when I was going as a high school teacher that was bringing like a hundred of his high school students with him to teach them about democracy, to show them what democracy looks like. But then at that point I had an extra sense of responsibility towards these young people that I was honestly not more than five or six years older than. I mean, <laughs> I was basically their peer. I would get stopped in the high school hallways by security guards sometimes. And they'd be like, why are you not in class? And I'd be like, cause I'm a teacher here. <laughs> and, and I would like, I really was able to see like what I was exposing my high school students to, which was a lot of anger and hatred. And at the same time, like the curriculum that I've been teaching and writing and working with is this curriculum that revolves around Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King and mother Teresa and, you know, Leo Tolstoy and like reading the works of, you know, great peacemakers. And so learning about nonviolence and then realizing that like a lot of what was fueling me was anger and hatred mm -hmm. and a lot of what was fueling those entire demonstrations. And so I, I really began to start questioning at that time what was happening. And it was after it was those few years of like really like reading this stuff. When you teach something, you really learn it. Right. Yes. I can't say that I knew this stuff when I was teaching it, but I was learning it as I was teaching it. I could like recite some of these, you know, speeches by Dr. King backwards at this point because I had been working with them so much. And, you know, after a few years, I was like, wow, like this is really, this is hypocritical mm -hmm. a little bit to what, what we're teaching. So at that point, right around four years in, I had left the organization, the nonprofit was a passion project. I mean, we were doing great grassroots work. We had a lot of volunteers. We didn't have a lot of money. We had like great ancillary initiatives, but it wasn't a full-time job. You know, when you're like 23, you can kind of have like 10 jobs and mm -hmm. still have energy for more. At least that's how I felt when I was 23. <laughs> I was say, I'm I not know. sure that's true of everyone, but... That's how I felt. I think when I left and I moved to India, it was because I needed like time away. I wanted to like gut check and kind of check in with like what was important to me in life. So you're still listening. So it's highly likely that you're really into this podcast. And it's even likelier that you're a curious person who wants to dig deeper. I am really excited to announce the launch of my online membership meditation community for young people. Each week we gather live online. Yes, I said live. And we practice together. Each 30 minute call begins with a short meditation, which is followed by some live coaching from me and we end with some Q&A. Look, we all spend so much time online disconnecting from each other. This is the opportunity to spend some time connecting together, building our self-awareness, becoming more conscious, and simply feeling better. Don't miss out. To register now for your free trial, head over to annemarietereso.me or text MEDITATE to 474747 and I'll be on the lookout for you. So you're on this journey and you do have a Vipassana. What was that like for you, this first Vipassana retreat? Had you been a meditator up until that point? No, I went into this 
10 day Vipassana sit. And for those that don't know what this is, it's like you take a vow of silence. So there's no writing, there's no reading, there's no talking, no looking at anyone, there's no looking at other people in the eyes. It's like, you're really just like, you're going totally inwards you're meditating for almost 10 or 12 hours a day. You're doing one hour long sits, which is painful. <laughs> and but I just want, I just want everyone who's no listening in <laughs> to like pause for a nanosecond and imagine that, like imagine five minutes. We can't, it's hard to get people five minutes to put their phones down yeah. or step away. So, okay. Imagine he's doing 10 days, which was it really 10 days? Cause there's usually, it's usually like 12 days, like a couple of days on the front end and back yeah. end as you're getting acclimated. So you're shutting out the entire world as you know it and just looking inward for yeah. 10 days straight yeah. and you're around other human beings and not at all interacting not with them. Interacting. And ideally you're sitting with your legs crossed and meditating <laughs> and you have to somehow keep your body still. Uh-huh. And try not to move your body as well for hours on it. Yeah, like which, don't scratch your nose. Yeah, which is painful. I've never done a 10-day Vipassana. I've done it three-day. And what I hear from my friends who've done 10 days is like after three days or so is when like the break starts and then you start to really go in. Oh, yeah. So what was it like for you? The same. I mean, for me, it was it almost took four or five days because mm-hmm. I I couldn't figure out how to sit for the first few days and I was just in so much discomfort, physical discomfort, physical discomfort. Yeah. Like my knees, my shoulder, my neck, like everything just hurt. Mm-hmm. I just had to keep moving every like five or 10 minutes. I'd have to like, I'd have to like change my leg or I'd have to like shift my arm or, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't. And then my mind was running so fast every second there was something different. And my mind was just like literally like in a pinball machine. Yeah. And it took about three or four days of just being with that. I think it was like my fourth day or my fifth day when I actually, because they basically do these bells that go off like every hour and you're supposed to come and sit and then the bell goes off and you sit for an hour. Then you get up after an hour and, and walk around for five minutes and then you go back and sit again for another hour. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. And you rest your legs. <laughs> and it took me almost four or five days before I could do my first one hour sit. Did you ever want to give moving. up? What's that? Did you ever want to give up? Like how many times did you think I'm out of here? Uh, it probably crossed my mind. I'm sure it did at some point. But as we said earlier, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Like the reason I even got into yoga practice to begin with was in the States here, one of my buddies was teaching yoga and he kept trying to get me to come to one of his yoga classes. And this was back in a long time ago. And I, I kept saying no. And I'm, I was an athlete at that time. I played soccer growing up as a kid you know, I'd hit the weight room. I was running. I was like, I'm not coming to your yoga class. And then finally, after like, after a few months of, of him like bugging me, I finally said, all right, I'll come. And I went to his class and I couldn't do 75% of the things that I was watching other people in the room do, but also that he was instructing the students to do. I just couldn't do any of it. I couldn't even touch my toes. Kind of like the bullying example too, instead of letting that like keep me from going back it actually made me and I woke up the next day so sore and I was like wow I've never been I haven't been this sore in like five years 
And I was like, wow, this is really hard. I'm going back. And so like, I just kept going back right, because I wanted, to, I wanted to figure it out. I wanted, you who I wanted keeps to, going back to yeah, the pain. I wanted to figure out like, why, 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 why can't I do this? And I want to figure out how to do this. And so I just kept going back to like, so I could like unlock the mystery of it. And so that was kind of how the meditation retreat was. It was like, I don't think I ever thought about leaving. I thought about like, often I thought about why can't I sit? Mm. Like, what is it that makes me need to keep getting up or moving? And why does my mind like not just stay in one place? It why doesn't, does my mind keep bouncing around? Your curious voice doesn't sound like a judgmental one. It doesn't sound like the voice in a lot of us who's like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just sit here? It sounds like more like, oh, I want to figure this puzzle out. <laughs> do you have a lot of self-judgment talk? I mean, I do. I wish I could like sing. You know, like, <laughs> oh. I, I'm very, very like self-conscious and <laughs> like there's things I wish I was out there doing that I don't feel like I have enough confidence to do. But yeah, no, the Vipassana was hard. That, that was, that was a game changer. Actually. I, I tell so many people, the quicker, the earlier you could do it in life, the better. Cause you could start integrating those tools. I'm actually going to do my first 20 day sit this September. Wow. I've been working up to it for almost 15 years. Where are you doing that one? In California at the base of uh, Yosemite National Park. Oh, my God. Yeah, they have a Vipassana Center there. So I've done all the prerequisites now. It took me about 15 years. But one of the prerequisites is is having sat six 10-day courses. The other is like having served a course. And then another is having done this advanced Satipatthana course. So, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm going to be doing a 20-day silent yeah, meditation. Super envious. Later this year, yeah. Super jealous. So, back after that first vipassana, do you think in a way that's when you started to find yourself? Do you know what I mean when I'm asking that question, find yourself? Yeah, um were you looking for yourself? That's a good question. I I had this other really climactic experience in my life when I was um I think like 21 it was my junior year of college i did a semester abroad called semester at sea mm-hmm. and i spent like three and a half months living on a ship traveling around the world mm. we traveled to 11 countries wow and at some point we landed in south africa cape town and we went to the townships and i visited like townships and this was i mean you know apartheid south africa post-apartheid, the racism. The... I would say that that experience, doing all this like college credit for that, but also like the deep visceral experiences of what I saw, like helped me realize really young that like I, I had other things that were interesting to me than just making money and like being like, you know, an accomplished human in this world as we kind of quote unquote know it to be successful. Like successful to me meant something very different at that point. And it meant like, like, how do I like exist in this world to leave it a little better than I found it? Mm-hmm. That's been like my, my compass. Making I wanna, impact. I want to, yeah, I want to serve. Like I want to, I want to, I don't want to just like watch and be apathetic. Based on our short conversation so far, it sounds like that has been the driving force in you for as long as you can remember. It's like you know, even right into college, you're really being an activist, you're going out and doing and rather than it doesn't sound like you were seeking monetary rewards or 
approval from the outside world in some ways that others might be doing in terms of defining success. Have you succeeded? Do you feel successful? Like for me, if you asked me what successful was when I was 23 years old, it would have been like me supporting a movement to demilitarize the world and to like have like us be like a carbon neutral society living off of renewable energy and ending racism, like, you know, having no poverty in the world. That would have been successful to me. Being a part of that. Being a part of that, like somehow being a part of like ushering in Mm -hmm. and giving birth to a world with like a very audaciously new morality. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that was me like at a very ambitious age, like thinking like anything is possible. And you started by like, what are your limiting beliefs? And I think part of like my limiting beliefs at this point, going back to your question is like, am I jaded a little bit now that I've been out here for a little while? Like seeing how hard it is to make some of the really like deep changes in the world that I would love to see happen. Uh, And is that like a limiting belief? You know, is that a belief that keeps me from success? And then what is success? Right. So like, I, I don't know, like if success is really, if it's something more about like, how am I moment to moment rather than am I reaching this idea, this story I've created for myself that is just another part of the narrative. And then like, I think our own stories that we create about our own lives is something that limits us in our capacity to like do anything we want to do. Yes. So what's... like, what if this was all you did? Would you feel successful in your life? What if I was to die tomorrow? Would I feel like I've done all I could? Yeah. I would say that I would... Not all you could. Right. But would you feel fulfilled in your mission to make imp- make impact in the world in the way that you wanted to, that you said your 23-year-old self wanted to? Can you look back at that trajectory of time from between now and then yeah. and see yourself as successful in that mission? Um, I think it's hard to quantify that. I mean, I think if I was to be at a point where I was like, okay, this is it. This is, this is what I've gotten to. I'm sure a part of me would feel a little disappointed. Huh. Like I've not done enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's like the soundtrack to the back of my life. Uh, it's something that I've been working a lot with. It's this idea of not being enough, mm-hmm. feeling like I'm not enough, mm-hmm. feeling like I haven't really, really activated my full potential. Yeah. Wow. As cool as some of the things I've done are, it's still like, I feel like it's still just not even scratching the surface of my potential. And so I think in some ways I would feel like, dag, <laughs> like, you know, and I think about that. I'm like, I wish I, there's certain things I wish I had done that I haven't yet, you know, even in the movement. The, when I say movement, I mean the social justice movement, mm-hmm. you know, like there's things that, I wish I'd been able to contribute, but I haven't yet for whatever reasons. There's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be more to do. But at the same time, I would also, I've also through my personal practice of meditation and the work I've done like on personal, you know, transformation, I feel like I'd also be like, okay, 
I did give it a really good shot. Like, I, <laughs> like you still won't give yourself enough credit. I, I, gave, I gave it a good shot. Yeah, but like, where? I tried, but you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't hit the bullseye, but I tried really damn hard. Wow. And I shot a lot of darts. I could feel like my heart breaking a little bit over here. Like, man, cut yourself some slack, dude. Like, yeah, well, sink into it. Like, really look at what you've done and celebrate it. Like, be in the fullness of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, we live in a very, like, we're in a crossroads. I mean, every moment's a crossroad. The 1800s was a crossroads. The 1500s was a crossroads. The year 10 BC was a crossroads. I'm sure they're all crossroads, but we live at a time where there's a need, I think, for all of us to think a little bit more about what we could do and contribute. I'm all about the human being idea, and I think we are too much of like human doings, mm -hmm. but I also am like, there is a lot of waking up that still can happen. What happens when we all wake up and we're in nirvana? Then what? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, I think part of that is, you know, I really am the kind of person that believes in like the internal ecosystem being connected to the external ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we'll all wake up and be in nirvana until we've also created an external ecosystem that supports us as humans to wake up and be in nirvana. You know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like there requires certain base level of yeah. things. Starts with self. Yeah. Like you said at the top of our interview, you start with yourself every day before you go out into the world. So I don't know if I heard you right or if I'm misunderstanding. You said the internal ecosystem and the external ecosystem, and you don't know if the shift will occur until the external ecosystem is in right order or the internal ecosystem is in right order. I think they're both interdependent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think they're interdependent. They both need to support each other. Yeah. It's like a feedback loop. Yeah. Like, so as we're developing in our internal consciousness, the external world will also simultaneously have to shift to support that internal evolution of consciousness. Yeah. They're reflecting back. Exactly. So Gandhi has this great quote. He said, we can't make people good, but we can create the conditions mm -hmm. to make it easier for people to choose the good. Yes. We can't make people reach nirvana, but we can create the external conditions for it to be easier for people to choose to seek nirvana. Yeah, and more seductive, more appealing. Yeah. Like, it's really great over here. Yeah. Come choose this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a choice. So what would you say to young people who, like yourself at 23 or 25 before you did your Vipassana, they're trying to find themselves, right? And they're out there looking at the external world. There's Instagram and Facebook and what you're doing and what everyone else is doing around them, what their parents are saying. But what would you say to them about like the path to finding themselves? Like what's your advice to them? I mean, for one, I, I would really start with like be present and be where you are. I think oftentimes for me, it, when I was 23 or 24, I would think like, Oh man, like this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. When really things shift and change really rapidly and it's not like we have to plan out the course for the rest of our lives now, but I think whatever we choose to do now, you know, we really do it and learn as much as we can through that experience and know that that experience is going to bounce us into the next great experience, right? Like these experiences are all meant to like keep us moving in a direction that's in alignment mm -hmm. with, 
with what we want. And then like to seek like and find things that make you happy. I think we, we learn and like, I know me, like I, I learn and like figure out the most when I'm doing what I love. And then really like just thinking about like where and how am I connected living in a silo? It's not the world we live in anymore. Like we live in a, in a world where we're all influencing each other. So Mm -hmm. really understanding like how, what I'm doing is impacting the things around me, like the choices I make. Those are the all things that were like really important to me. I think interconnectedness is a really hard thing to teach, to really understand the impact we have just spiritually, energetically. Every decision we make has an impact in some way or another. Right. And until we really fully wake up to that and realize that, that's a hard one, I think, to learn. Yeah. So you do a lot of stuff in the world, Mm -hmm. right? You have lots of labels. I want you to tell us a little bit about those labels. Give me some of them. So if someone were to Google you and see your bio, what are the kinds of labels that the world defines you? Yeah, I hate all those labels. I guess part of that is a healer, somebody that does a lot of work within community organizing, an educator, a poet for sure. Poet. Poet at heart. Leader, activist. Activist, maybe. Yeah. Those are all good labels. Is there anyone that you're attached to or enjoy more than other? Your eyes lit up at poet. I love the poet. So when, you know, when you're like traveling out of the country or you're like doing like one of those embarkation cards on the airplane Mm -hmm. and they're like, they say occupation. Uh Uh-huh. What I normally write is poet and teacher. So is that the one that most aligns with you? I don't know, but that's what I write. So it must be. Poet and teacher. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That feels right. I don't know. Have you never thought about like that before? What labels do you use for yourself? Teacher. Mm -hmm. Advocate. Healer. Guide. Coach. Mm. Lover. And there's one other. um, Liberator. Mm, I love that. That's my favorite one. Yeah. And I couldn't even grab it. I love that. So yeah, I've been playing with this idea myself. Like, who am I and how do I want to be known? Mm-hmm. So Liberator is my favorite one. Like, I most want to walk along the side of others as we free one another. Mm-hmm. And open ourselves to love. And our collective liberation. And our collective liberation. And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. You said coach and guide and teacher. All the, they all kind of carry the same spirit to them. One that supports other others in finding their own passions, missions, strengths, potential. That's where I think our freedom lies when mm-hmm. we're in alignment with who we are and what we're meant to do in this world. Mm-hmm. How we can bring impact. Because it's not just about what we're giving out there. I actually think... It's sort of a selfish selfish mission. That's funny two words to put together. It's a selfish mission because when I give, I get so much more in return. Mm -hmm. It's so much more. It fills me up so much more than what I'm giving. Yeah. So, um, all right. What qualities do you believe is required to be a great leader? I really think there's a lot of things. I mean, I think great leaders get out of the way and don't make it about them. I think there has to be a great deal of empathy, mm. uh, deep ability to listen, mm. 
communication, transparency, patience, willingness, discipline, caring. Those are just the first few that come to my mind. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think your biggest challenge has been as, you know, not as a leader, but just like as a human, even just the biggest challenge you faced recently? And what have well, you learned from it? I have been really challenged. So like, and going back to your question of like, what labels do you do you sort of find you? It's like, so when we're in like our all staff meetings, we, we have new staff often coming on one common unity and everybody's going around and saying what they do at the organization. It comes to me and I'm like, so I'm Hawa and I'm like, you know, I'm the resident shaman. Um, everybody laughs because I always just call myself the shaman. You didn't have that group. label earlier. I know. That's why I was bringing yeah. it up because that's the label I use often is like shaman. And then I use the word alchemist. Mm. Sometimes it's like someone that can turn like, can turn and transform, transmute things. You know, I think for all of us, you know, I, I guess there's, there's a deep need uh, right now to like, to figure out what's important, what's really important. I feel like for myself included, like one of the greatest challenges has been being in the work requires sometimes doing things that I don't want to do. For example, as like the CEO of a nonprofit, I am right now spending a lot of time like doing fundraising and strategic planning mm -hmm, and partnership mm -hmm. development yeah. work, like stuff that doesn't really necessarily feed me mm -hmm. in the ways that I like to, to be fed. But I recognize like I'm doing this because there's something more important and bigger than what I can even see right now and mm -hmm. that like what I'm helping to move forwards is going to have impact for years and years to come. So I think that's part of it. It's like just like I've been really challenged with like how am I spending my time and is how I'm spending my time really the way to maximize my own gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. Like what's it unique that Hawa can do that nobody else in the world can do and like how do I make sure that that's what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And I can't say right now that I feel like what I'm doing daily is uniquely what only I can do in this world. Yeah, I get that. So that's been a challenge for me. Uh, it's also been really just challenging at times, like navigating what it means to be, you know, like as the executive director of an organization, we have like 50 people on staff. We have to hold people accountable. So like there's a yoga teacher in me that wants to just be in a yoga classroom and like support and love everyone unconditionally no matter what and then there's like the part of me that knows like that there's schools and there's children's lives and families lives that are dependent on us doing things with certain levels of excellence and when that doesn't happen with some of the staff like it's been hard like having to let people go you know having to like coach and coach and coach people until the point you realize like wow maybe this is not your unique talent and gift. Yeah. This is not how you're going to contribute, you know, right now to this organization. That can be hard. I mean, hard for people to receive. Uh, that can cause pain. Yeah. Uh, it can cause, you know, people to feel not heard, not listened to. Um, I've been really personally challenged with like the amount of relationships I've built over the years and not feeling like, like I'm at a tipping point in like the amount of people that I can maintain that close connection to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I don't feel like I've been able to be as good of a friend to people in my life that I've always been there for um, just because like, I feel like I'm just running 60 hour weeks, 70 hour weeks 
And so it's been hard to show up for like the people in my life and to just like have even like kids I mentored like 10, 15 years ago that I'm still remotely ancillary and touched with. I'm not able to take these kids out to the park or to dinner like on a regular basis anymore. I sometimes don't see kids that I mentored five years ago. I don't see them for a couple of years. Like that breaks my heart. And so I think like I really struggle with like not having enough enough time mm-hmm. to feel like I can really return all those those gifts that people have given me. And that, that's that been hard and challenging for me to the point where sometimes I'm like, man, I should just like get out of DC and like go move and start over so I don't feel so responsible. And so, yeah, wherever you, know, you go, there you are though. You can't yeah. run away from it. It's going to, exactly. it's going to be exactly wh- where you are. It's a dance. It's a dance. This has been so fun. In closing, two things. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? And what do you want to affirm for yourself? I want an I am statement. Uh, what's next for me? What's the thing you're most lit up about doing going forward? I'm really blanking right now. I'm not going to I'm not going to act like I have an answer. Um, it's a hard one because are you seeing all the choices I, in your head? Like so many. I mean, I'm lit up about a lot of things. After you walk the, out this the, door. The main one is just like really continuing to live the values that mm-hmm. have gotten me to where I am, mm-hmm. you know, to stay, just stay committed to the path, to, to not waver, you know, and to not give up. I'm just lit up by like the possibility of what's possible when humans unite around yeah. an idea. Like, I think we could very quickly change what's happening in the world if we all just put our minds to it. Yeah, I so see I'm that. Lit up, lit up by that. Yeah, that lights me up too. And I am your I am statement. Your affirmation for today. Um, I am here. Mm. I'm present. Love that. That was Hawa Kassat. You can check out all that Hawa does at his website at hawat.us. You could also find him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And I'd really like to thank Hawa for all the work he does in the world and his devotion to not only his own personal practice, but being the change that he wishes to see in the world. I was honored to have that conversation with him, and I hope you enjoyed being with him as much as I did. Okay, now for some homework. I happen to be here in Costa Rica, having just finished a week-long retreat as I record this. And I'm doing my best to remain calm and present in this coronavirus chaos that's now become the focus of pretty much all of our lives. And while it's true that we have much to be concerned about and aware of, I'm noticing that I'm really appreciating Hawa's closing affirmation. I am here. In these moments, I think our greatest challenge is to remember that now is truly the only moment that matters. So I would like to take a moment together to take a breath and get present and create our own affirmation as we head into the moments ahead. Like I said, it's important to remain aware, but it's also important to remain positive and affirm our personal and collective health and well-being. And I'd like to do a short meditation to affirm our collective health and well-being for us all and encourage you to hold this in your thoughts 
your mind, and your heart as you're going forward in the next few days, months, and even years ahead. It's a meditation that I often use, particularly in times of stress, frustration, and fear. So if you take a moment to simply get still, close your eyes, begin to feel your breath moving in the body, Taking a full deep breath and having some appreciation and gratitude for the ability to do that. Just that simple act of an inhale, of a full, healthy, expansive inhale into our lungs. Breathing that in, exhaling, letting it go. And now we're just going to try on this affirmation. It's a simple, short line. It simply goes, may I be healthy. And as you say that, I want you to imagine all the way from your toes going up, your knees into your hips, your solar plexus, up into your chest and your throat and your head. Imagine every cell in your body. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. Often I sit for a minute or two simply imagining health, happiness, wellness, ease in every cell of my body. And once you've cultivated that energy in yourself. You can call to mind someone you know, perhaps someone you know who might be struggling. And just simply call to mind this person or people and wish the same thing. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Breathe that all the way in through every cell in your body. Imagining these people that are close to you that you know and really wishing them health, happiness, well-being, and ease. Now that you've generated it for yourself, you've given it to some people close to you, we're now going to call in everyone in the world, everyone around us in our communities, our small communities, our large communities, we're simply going to call into our mind's eye, everyone around the world, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. Just simply bring to your mind's eye everyone in the world right now. Imagining people who are struggling, maybe people who are sick. Simply bring them to your mind's eye, wishing them well, wishing them health, wishing them happiness, wishing them ease. Notice how that feels in your body. And then just take one out breath. 
And you can remember as you go about your days, your moments, your weeks and your months ahead, you can continue to affirm, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. All right, guys, thank you so much for being with me once again. I'm looking forward to next time. And in the meantime, stay present and enjoy the moments. And remember, keep doing the things that make you most happy. The university's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. Or follow us at Anne-Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Man, <laughs> cut yourself some slack, dude. Like, well. <laughs>